Biz Women Rock, episode 141. What's going on? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kermitzos. This podcast is dedicated to highlighting the incredible journeys of really amazing businesswomen so that your business journey can be inspired by it. Before we get rolling, here's a word from our awesome sponsor. The most savvy businesswomen know that their marketing has to stay fresh and relevant. That's where Postcard Mania comes in. From direct mail email marketing, to Google pay-per-click, Postcard Mania provides proven strategies that produce results for your business. Get started today with a 1,000 free postcards at postcardmania.com forward slash bizwomenrock. My guest today is Heather Sanford, the owner of The Piggery. The Piggery is a community-based local pig farm that raises pigs to be butchered and does a local butcher shop and everything is locally sourced. Now, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that I'm a vegan. So I just want to state for the fact early on that this was a very peaceful conversation because I was so fascinated by Heather's business about how she actually runs this farm and does it in a very localized way that I just have, I do have a lot of respect for. So Heather's story is a fascinating one because you're going to hear how she took something that was just a personal interest of hers and her husband's and how she kind of like brought it to market very slowly, but how very quickly it turned into something big and it just spread by word of mouth and how she's been able to keep up with that demand. She talks a lot about the behind the scenes, how the operation works, how she makes sure that she has enough, um, how she's had... A pretty significant business failure, like huge flop, and how she came back from that and the lessons she's learned from it. So she is absolutely incredible. Whether you're a meat eater or not, you've got to listen to this story. Heather, thank you so much for being on the show, girl. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited that you're here. Um, So I am so fascinated by the farm girl, basically, the farm business, the female butcher. (laughs) And I just, um, in doing my research about you and your company, I just think that your business that you and your husband have created is just absolutely fascinating. And I warned you that I would do this, but, you know, right up front, um, all, you know, anyone listening knows that I'm a a very proud vegan. But one of the things that that so fascinated me about your farm and about your local um, focus on meats and all that stuff is that it, it, it sort of takes away it it allows you know meat lovers to really have something that's local that's not you know kind of mass produced in a really nasty way so i just want to state for the fact for you listening that this is a very peaceful <laughs> conversation <laughs> and we're really here to talk business um and to your business that i really have a lot of respect for so let's start first with the fact that um, I would like to know the story as how in the world you got to own a farm because my goodness, like you were, um, you know, like professional engineer girl. <laughs> like, how did you go from that to being a farmer? Yeah, I mean, life brings you in really strange places, and I've I've gotten this question a lot over the years. I'm always trying to think of the most succinct way to kind of describe it because it was kind of a meandering path. And you know, flashback, you know, ten years. We just had our ten year anniversary on this farm. 
And my husband and I were out in San Francisco. It was like during the dot-com rides. We're doing that thing. Um, I was professional. I was working in real estate, which I really loved. I did a lot of first-time homebuyer programs, really interesting work. At nighttime, I was also in a punk rock band with a bunch of other women. Um, what? We were in all girls. <laughs> yeah. I did not read that anywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We what was the name of your band? <laughs> I don't know if I can say it. It's called, we're called Inspect Her Gadget, which is, you know, okay then. That's great. <laughs> it's okay to end the interview right now. But, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was in a really, you know, popular kind of band, and we were busy playing. And um, at that same point, you know, I was really in love with the work I was doing, the band I was playing with. But my husband and I were getting really interested in, you know, more of the natural lifestyle, whether it's, like, natural building. We went to a bunch of, like, straw bale house, eco house building seminars, classes, which is a six-month intensive, um, and how to build our own house. And we got, we were one of the first people that went to the San Francisco farmer's market. I mean, it was just like a little rundown parking lot with like farmers with their trucks pulled up. And if you go to it now, it's just like elaborate, beautiful setting. Um, so we just really 10 years ago got really interested in the idea of like what it means like to, to make your life simpler and more natural, close to home and like how to cook our own food. Um, my husband, I remember looking, this is my age myself, Craigslist back in the day, was based out in San Francisco. Hey, it's still open. It's it's still working. (laughs) (laughs) It's much different. Like you would type in the page and it was just for San Francisco and it wasn't categorized and it was just a bunch of links and it was brand new and it was like really fun to parse through. And we're like rolling over and telling my husband one day, I was like, oh my, I was vegetarian at the time. And I said, oh my gosh, the funniest thing, somebody is selling a whole pig on Craigslist. And I, I can't decide since then if I regret that conversation or not. But he quickly thought it was the coolest thing in the world, called up because he's a meat eater, and worked with the farm and the butcher, like directly this like small farm north of San Francisco, like to get the pig butchered exactly and cut how he wanted to. And then we had this all of a sudden the chest freezer we had to go buy and you know, the next six months with my husband making all sorts of crazy kind of pork concoctions. He was really interested in the idea of traditionally preserving meats where sausages come from, your charcuterie, things like that. So it was really a fun playtime for him and I think ignited a certain passion. So that's kind of where that seed got laid. And at that time, we were also interested in the idea of homesteading. And if people aren't inter- you know, not familiar with that term, it's the idea of kind of growing your own food and kind of self-sustaining yourself. So um, we decided, you know, after five years in the Bay Area to move back to upstate New York. And this is where our family's from. We both went to Cornell. And we found a farm about 15 miles outside of Ithaca where Cornell's, you know, located. And it was a blank canvas. It was 70 acres. We pulled a camber out and proceeded to live there and dig a big hole in the ground, build our own foundation, and build our first house for ourselves. So that's kind of how the farm got started many, many years ago. That is a very cool story. Now, you did mention a (laughs) word in there, the chartreuterie. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you explain that really quick? Because I know that has a lot to do with what you do. No problem. So what charcuterie is, it's a French word, actually. It's the traditional preservation technique of meat which I think is really interesting. We were at the same time very interested, oops, someone's beeping this in, interested in the idea of how you like preserve fruits and vegetables from the harvest. But there's these old ways of preserving meat. So charcuterie is the idea of making sausages and pâtés and smoking meat. So if you've ever seen terrines or pâtés, things like that, those are considered like charcuterie sort of items. So, um, and that's some of the work that we do. 
So, so you're, you're there, you are building your house like piece by piece yeah. on this farm. Yeah. And at some point yeah. you decide to make a business out of that. Like what, what was that moment that you said, okay, we need to actually do something with this and this is going to be the business. Yeah, you know, I, I have to give props to my husband. He was definitely the visionary behind it. He had gone to the French Culinary Institute years ago, um, was definitely a cook, definitely a chef. And we were homesteading at that time where we had some pigs, we had some milk cows, so we would go out and milk the cows in the morning and grow vegetables. And, you know, working with the livestock, the pigs in particular, we were, we were pretty drawn to it. At the same point, we didn't realize it, but we were kind of doing a lot of market research. We were obsessed with farmer's markets and, like, Grown, you know, locally and close to our farm. So we started realizing that in our area, it was very traditional for farmers to grow meat, but then to immediately freeze the cuts, like in kind of bigger cuts that people aren't really familiar with, like big rump roast, things like that, and then sell it out of the back of the pickup truck at the farmer's market. And so because we don't have any background and honestly didn't know any better, we had this idea, we're like, what if we brought like fresh meat to the farmer's market? Wouldn't that be super cool? It's like fresh off the farm. So it was it was we, we just literally didn't know any better, and we thought it would be kind of a neat project and would be a, a good resource for our community. Um, so fast forward, we got all the licensees. We taught ourselves how to cut recently. You know, we actually put our first cut shop in the basement of our house. Wow. Uh, which, sounds, which sounds a little weird, but it was New York State Ag and Market certified, so we were able to – it was a really nice kind of like little facility. And we would cut meat and farm all day and go to the farmer's market. And by the sixth week at the farmer's market – we had a line like forty people deep. What? And we didn't. We didn't realize there was like other weirdos like uh, like us out there. We're like we're making confit, which is a charcuterie item. We're making all these like pâtés, and we thought we'd just be weirdos. Maybe some people would be kind of into it. We're making sausage, and it just we had this gigantic, and it just never stopped. So what pushed our business forward at that point is we sort of felt responsible. People kept coming to our farmer's market stand every weekend and say, "Well, you make all this stuff. Can't you bring me some pork chops?" And we're like, hmm, "That's probably a pretty good idea." And then people kept asking us to do more things. And eventually we opened up our own like small butcher shop because they're like, gosh, you know, I work on the weekends. How can I get your meat mother time? And can't you cut meat for other farms? And that's kind of where we've been pushed in this direction for so long by, by people in Ithaca in the Strongan area. Wow. And so that whole time, I mean, you were just kind of like doing whatever you could to keep up with the demand. <laughs> so you would get more. So how let's, let's walk through a little bit about how you actually, um, I guess, I don't even know the vocabulary for this, like stock your pigs. Like, are you breeding your pigs there? Like, how how do you go from your very first year, you know, um, selling, I think you told me a total of like 20 or 23 pigs to now you have, you know, t- a ton of them. So like, what are you doing to make sure you keep up with that demand? What is that process? That's a, it's great that you picked up on that detail. And, um, you know, and that kind of folds into the, the other conversation of like, even though we can make good charcuterie and good meat, you know, are we good business people? And this is kind of, we struggle with actually the economics and the projections. Because um, we, we raise our pigs like twice as long as like factory raised pigs, which means because we raise all heritage breeds out on pastures. So the ones that are like in the factory farms, I call them like foie gras pigs because they literally just like, cage them and stuff them. I know it's a hard for you to hear. Um, yeah, it sucks. And, and like, it's, it's, That's why I'm so against it, though, by the way, and that why I actually yeah. really, really do respect what you do. So because it's disgusting there versus and they're not moving and all that crap. And then with your I mean, you really have this open farm. I mean, they're moving around. They're yeah. eating real food. So um, it's a lot more humane way. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. Like they're doing their thing for like almost up to a whole year, which is great because it's like with, you know, like our vision of what we do and our mission statement of our work and stuff for them to have a good life. But at the same time, it is hard to project as you picked up on because all of a sudden we had to figure out 
you know, in a year from now, how many pigs I'm going to make. So it, it's been hard. Um, we originally started, it's called farrowing, when you raise the pigs on the farm and have piglets. We originally started that way, and then we quickly got into the habit of buying uh, piglets. And so we did that for a while, and that actually helped us kind of manage our flow better because you shave kind of three months off the shelf life or, you know, the, the life, the growth life of the pigs at that point. Right. Um, yeah, because they already kind of grown by three months. So that's helped. It's always a, a, a a really big issue for us trying to project growth. So for a long time, what we did just for our customers is they got used to us constantly having shortages, which maybe isn't the best way to run your business. But I think when you're small and you're a farmer and you're close to your customer, there's a certain level of forgiveness that I don't think you get like in an open market. Um, so we, we just, people just got really used to us running out all the time. And this past year or two, it's been a big paradigm change for all of our customers to, to walk into our store and be like, oh, gosh, you're not out of bacon. You're not out of sausage. You actually have good stocking. So it's taken us quite a while to get there. And what's also happened this last year, which has helped with that process, is that we finally got to the point where my husband, Brad, and I couldn't grow all the pigs on our farm. So we formed a family of farms. And it's just like us and a couple other like local farmers. And we kind of all balance. They have their own markets, but then they, we're also a market to them. So we help. That with, you know, we balance each other's eyes and flow out, which is nice. But it's really important to them that they're the same protocol that we are, which is they have to be pasture-raised animals, heritage breeds. Um, they have to be fed non-GMO grains, no chemicals, no hormones, no routine antibiotics. So we work really close to them to make sure they're the same protocol, and then that just really helps with our supply line. Wow. So then you end up being sort of the main um – the main marketer for all of that, the main place where people are yeah. like everyone kind of comes to you and knows your brand to do it, but you're now sourcing other other meats from other farms and other um, items from other farms then, right? Yep, you got it. We And, and um, the other farms we work with are pretty excited about it because as we found as our own family farm, it's hard to do everything. It's hard to be really good at growing your animals. That takes a skill set. It's really good at having to balance your books. You have to be really good at marketing. You have to take your weekends off to the farmer's market or find other customers. There's a lot of things you have to be good at. And some of the farmers that I work with, they just want to sell me the carcasses. You know, they just, that's what they want to grow the animals and they want to know that they have a market for it. And there hasn't been a market that, you know, can take a volume from them. You can do one-off and sell some freezer pork to one or two families here and there. But in general, they're excited that they can bring their carcasses to us and that we're somebody who gives them value outside of the auction house. And saying that these are well-raised animals. We know how they're raised. They have value. This is what we're paying for them. So it, it works out really nice. And now a little word from our awesome sponsor. Are you using LinkedIn? Okay, let me ask that another way. Are you really using LinkedIn in a way that truly produces results for your business, like big time? Well, if you're anything like me and so many other businesswomen out there, you probably have a LinkedIn profile set up, but may not really do a lot with it. Or if you're actually on LinkedIn and you're active, perhaps you're not getting the results that you need. That's why you have got to know about LinkedIn Focus. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Niall Nickel, the founder of LinkedIn Focus, so you can see how using the right tools with the right platform can be explosive for your business. So what I love about LinkedIn Focus is that it shoves aside the 8,000 messages that you have about LinkedIn and all these strategies on how to use LinkedIn. It shoves all that aside and gets down dirty right to the point on what works, what doesn't and how you can really apply it to your business to produce results. It, it absolutely does. I mean, at the bottom of the day, it's a tool very quickly. 
LinkedIn Focus is where I really try to help uh, business and individuals leverage the power of LinkedIn for their goals. If you are not getting business from LinkedIn, then LinkedIn Focus is a must. Just go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR. Now, one of my biggest questions to you is how do you take something that's so community-based, going to yeah. the farmer's market, having a local butcher shop, and scale it out? Because that's that's a to me, that would be very, very tough. How have you scaled out and what challenges have you had in doing that from such a, a customized community business? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, I always say this to my customers, like this whole project has been community-based. And I think what's happened as I think this through is like, I think our community has just gotten bigger. Um, when we first started seven, eight years ago, I would constantly get calls from places like in New York City or even the local school, the local charter school wanted to buy stuff from us. And under, we initially started, I'm going to get kind of technical here for a second. We initially started cutting meat under uh, New York State Egg and Markets License, which is amazing. I'm so thankful for that. But you can't wholesale. You can only sell direct to your customers. So for all these years, this other community out here in our region were saying, we want to source your stuff. We want to do the right thing. We want to have local meat in our restaurant, in our school, in our store, but nobody can really do it. Because, you, you know, to the wholesale, you have to process something under a USDA license. So, um, so over the years, how we scaled is like we started at the farmer's market, and then our customers really pushed us to have more access to our meat. So we decided to start our own, like, small, like, honestly, like 400-square-foot butcher shop. But this is the funny part, I think, for all the listeners out there. We were afraid we wouldn't be able to cover the overhead. So we, what we actually did is we bought a business that had a drive through coffee shop in it. Come on. Actually, you're not going to believe me. <laughs> it's called, it's called, it's called <laughs> yep, Buzz Coffee drive through And one of the reasons we were really interested in it, it was in a location that was exactly across from the farmer's market. So the customers were used to finding us in that area. Okay. It was a place that had lots of parking. Um, the plaza owner was actually trying to make it it's this like cute like little food mecca. There's a little wine store, some other really nice projects in there. So it seemed like a perfect fit. And so we bought this drive through coffee business and ran a drive through espresso at the same time that we had a meat shop in the front where you'd walk. So you'd literally walk in my butcher shop and be a butcher there that could serve you to the butcher case. But off to the left was a woman like taking drive through orders and like servicing a drive through window. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I feel like you're not going to believe me, but it's so true. Um, but sometimes, like, you have to do what you have to do. So that's, like, to, in response to your question, it's, like, that's how we felt we were servicing our, our community more. It's, like, all right, cool, we're going to make, you know, they don't have to just come to the farmer's market on the weekend, which can be restricted to people that work on the weekend. Right. They can come to my store seven days a week. So we sort of just slowly, slowly grew from there. And um, and then the, uh, there was a, a restaurant attached to our building that the owner passed away and they went out of business. And so we actually kind of grew into that space. Um, we took a wrong turn as a business, I think, for a little while. Well, that's wrong. So we decided to open a restaurant, too. Gotcha. <laughs> we're farming. We're cutting meat, and we're owning a restaurant now. Because dealing with the ebb and flow of, like, fresh raw meat is really challenging because you have a lot of loss and a lot of shrinkage, and your margins are pretty small. So we had this idea that we would open a restaurant so that way if we had extra pork shoulder, we'd make you know, pulled pork. We would do this and serve sandwiches. And it sort of got a little out of control and it got to the point where we weren't doing anything good. So um, the restaurant did really well. It was like number one on Yelp. Like people were really excited about it, but we just couldn't 
you know, it, it was really busy. We just couldn't manage to break down the finances between all three entities and understand what was happening. But at some point, like, the cart was leading the horse where instead of actually taking leftover meat, I'm going and <laughs> taking extra shoulders off carcasses in the back, the roast overnight to have more pulled pork in the morning, and my butcher shop got short of sausage meat. So it was just sort of like kind of like a big messy situation. Got it. What did you end up doing about that? Did you close down the restaurant? We closed down the restaurant. We were there for about three years. And, I'm, you know, I'm proud. It was nice to see people. And I have people stop me. I'm not just in it, like, in the street every day, like, dude, I miss your restaurant. <laughs> but what came out of that was a Phoenix that was a lot better. We actually still had the space. And we renovated the space and built out, like, a, a really, for real, like, a full-fledged butcher shop and, look, like, a small, like, local foods grocery store. Well, um, and that, it, Yeah. I love that example of staying true to your core competency and trying to kind of go out of it, which in a business where you think it's related, um, but if it doesn't work, yeah. it doesn't work. So, you know, it, being able to stay true to your core competency, I think that's a really good story for it. Um, yeah. What do you guys do now to, you, you mentioned before about, um, you know, being able to supply meat to local restaurants and local vendors, and you did end up getting your USDA license. Is that right? We did, and that was, a, I'm pretty proud of that. That was a pretty big project. That's actually. a huge not, thing. Yeah, it's not very easy. So we, we actually learned a lot. Um, we learned how to go through a fundraising cycle. We learned how to raise funds. We worked with, like, agency groups, like, to put together this, like, five-group, you know, between investors and, um, you know, local agencies and banks and stuff to make the project happen. So that was something I didn't really have any experience of, and it was it took quite a while. And at the same time, we're still running our farm, and we're still running the butcher shop, and um, yeah, and so then we, so at this point, we were able to get our USA license, and we did launch our wholesale line about seven months ago, and we're servicing now restaurants and a lot of retail stores and, like, food co-ops between, like, you know, here in New York City and Maine and Vermont, and I just got a call from somebody in Virginia today. Um, so we're, we're in about five or six states right now with our products. So I'm curious. So like, really, yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, I'm curious to know what everything that I'm hearing from you, it sounds very organic. Like they're, okay, now we were coming here and now there's 40 people deep. And so we just kept building out because there's more demand for it. Are you guys doing yep. any marketing? Are you doing any external, you know, PR or anything to get the word out? Or is it literally just word of mouth right now? It's literally word of mouth. I've never had a marketing budget. Like I do a little bit here and there. Um, I'm really focused on social media, and I've never missed a week of writing a newsletter to my customers in Ithaca. Like I said, I'm on a newsletter every single week. I've never missed it, but to say, you know, connected with my customers. But no, I, you know, it, in some ways, it's kind of silly. Brad and I, my husband and I, are launching this like pastured pork made with New York based pastured pork, like deli meat line, around all these states, and like we literally don't have any marketing budget at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we're making it work. Um, we're doing our best, and it, it's really, um, you know, it, it seems to be okay. Our distributors that we work with, like, they push really hard. Um, and then we, we're kind of in a marketplace where there's not a ton of competition, like, for the, the market segment that we're going into. So at this point, like, the stores have seemed really receptive to, to, to you know, to give it a try, put it on the shelves, and they, they can see it's a differentiating item. The bigger problem is that could use the marketing, I think, to reach customers more because even if you have a shelf, it doesn't mean that people are going to reach for it, per right. se. Right. And it's a perishable item. But, you know, kind of, you know, the reason we're doing it is because these co-ops have asked us, you know, for years, like, we want a different product than what's out there, which is basically commodity 
deli meats, whether or not it's organic or not. They're all basically commodity things. Um, so, yeah. Do you guys do any internet sales? Like, do you offer your product other than, you know, for the local market? Can somebody in Florida go on and, and purchase your meats? Not yet. It is something I'm more interested in exploring than my husband is. Um, it's just the, I, I've, I've looked a little bit into shipping, and the problem with shipping with a perishable, like, refrigerated item, it's so expensive. Yeah. It really, like, the overnight something's like $50 on top of the product. So it's it's pretty challenging. Like, big companies like Omaha Steaks can do it because they, they've been able to negotiate better terms with the shippers than a small business like I could ever do. Um, and we're not really, we don't quite have the right setup to, to handle volume like that, but I think it'd be fun to kind of mess around with something like that. Yeah. Um, what has been one of your biggest challenges that you've had over these past eight years of, of running this farm? Like, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about the restaurant, not really, you know, ending up working out, but like, what's a moment that you can recall that has just been a really, really tough time for you and how did you get through it? Oh yeah. Gosh, I mean, there's been a bunch of them. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of different things. I mean, for me, I think the hard part has been, you know, the financial stuff. It's it's because it, when we break it down, we are kind of in the manufacturing business. We make value added products from from you know our animals that we harvest and stuff. But it's a lot easier to look at like manufacturing if you have like, three widgets that you're buying in and, and putting them together and getting one widget, and that's what you're selling. For for butchering, it's a much much more complex product because you're getting a whole carcass in. And there's a lot of things you can do with it. You can make stock and bone broth from the bones. You can make lard um, to sell for baking lard. You can sell sausages. You can sell deli meats. And we, you know, and we sell in our retail room versus wholesale. So our product catalog is pretty deep, and it can be a little challenging sometimes to get a handle on because we'll make things on the fly, like oh, we need more of this or more of that. It's hard to get a better sense sometimes, like where our better margins are for things mm. and what we should be focusing on. So we we do struggle with that quite a bit. But at the same point, we're in competition with these gigantic Midwest packing houses, where a lot of the meat cutting happens, and we have all these like extraneous ways to sell different things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, yeah. So that's been a really really big challenge, I think. What kind of stuff do you do to make sure that you're staying on your game as, you know, you mentioned it too, you're not just a farmer, you're not just a butcher. I mean, you guys are owners of this company and there's a very big difference between being the farmer and running the business. So what kind of stuff do you do to make sure you're staying sharp about running this business? Well, I wish I had more time for such things, I have to say, but I guess that's probably one of them is really trying to be focused on delegating and trusting my, my crew and like letting go so they can have the time to do that kind of work. And then my husband and I have the time to, to work on the business. So that's something I really, really focus on because uh, I used to be really involved in our retail room, which I'm in love with and I love helping my customers directly, but I'm not really helping the business if I don't get off the floor and if I don't trust my manager and if I don't just let them do what they need to do, you know? Um, so that's been a really big lesson to me. Yeah. And, and how- as far as like other things, you know, I, you know, I read trade magazines, I, follow the news every day, just like really trying to be involved with the industry and what's happening and trying to stay sharp. Hmm. How do you and your husband work work together? Like do you, my husband and I work together too. So I'm always curious as to how couples really work together, how you guys make it work. What roles do you have? How do you manage all of that stuff? 
Yeah, it's uh, we've worked, you know, side by side since the beginning. We would farm together and like cut meat together and go to the farmer's market together and stuff like that. And then we hit a point where that maybe wasn't working, you know, so well, like being together 24 7. You don't realize it until you get there, I think. Um, so now it's nothing bad, but just, you know, you get fatigued of each other and you don't want that, like in a marriage. You know, you want to be excited and intrigued and, you know, have some separation and things like that. So we, we now as a business has grown, we focus on pretty different areas. We, we kind of jokingly just like communicate by email and text throughout the day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You know, which is nice. Um, yeah, and so actually, so I focus on, well, I'm still, I can oversee our retail room because that's still a very big part of our business. I mean, that's like the majority of our business still at this time. So it's really important that this does, it's positive and moving forward and growing. Um, and then I'm I'm really involved with marketing and yeah, kind of some operations. I work a lot with our distributors, you know, and making sure what their orders are and, you know, how the customers are doing. So I'm very involved in the wholesale business. Yeah. Conversely, my husband is definitely our numbers guy. Um, I, he, he's definitely much better than I am. And he's also my operations guy. And he's also our main butcher. So not that he cuts meat every day, but he's the guy who knows how to do it, knows how to make the recipes, knows how to improve things, quality control, all those sort of things. Very cool. And then he's also the, yeah, the main visionary on the farm right now. I definitely pitch him, but we have a really good farm team that kind of runs things right now. Got it. Yeah. What, what is your big vision for your business? Like, wh- where do you see it going? What do you have coming up? What are you really excited about? You know, I'm excited about kind of finishing this wholesale project. Like, being only seven months into it is really, is kind of a really short time period. So I'm really excited to kind of, um, to, to get that really kind of stabilized where our production flow every week is we kind of knee jerk a little bit in reaction to the POs we get in and it's challenging because all of our stuff is really fresh and has a really short shelf life. So I'd like to get a better like production flow down that. I'd like to get a better, you know, like things like are, are very smooth, like working with all our retailers as best as possible. We'd like to have a little bit more penetration maybe in some bigger store chains in the Northeast because um, really our mission behind doing this wholesale line is to, to make local slash regional pastured meat, well-raised animals, good-tasting products, you know, with organic ingredients, kind of more of a, a choice. So when people kind of go into a bigger store, like, oh, cool, I can get Oscar Mayer, I can get Applegate, or I can buy this product made by, like, a small farm. Like, how cool is that? So that's what we're, that's kind of what I'm excited about. Very cool. Well, I yeah. want to go ahead and transition into our final component, the favorite five. Are you ready? <laughs> yep, bring it on. <laughs> Okay, so um, your very first question is, what is your favorite animal? Oh, uh, probably a liger. Yeah, a liger. I just, saw, I think yeah. I just saw one of those a couple months ago. <laughs> That's my favorite. I have a, I have a cat who's very beloved, and we call him my liger because he's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so ligers are definitely my favorite animals. Love it. Okay, would you ever have a liger yeah. on your farm? Can you, can you do totally. the liger? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Okay, how about your favorite book? Oh, you know what I re- – oh, gosh. Like, ever, ever or, like, recently? Just – re- it doesn't matter. Whichever mm-hmm. comes up in your mind first. You know what? I love the, the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon. I, I read it years ago, and they just made a series out of it. Um, really well-written historical fiction. Love the story behind her. You should probably have her on your show. Nice. All right. Hook it up, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. That's, that's a great series. Nice. Okay. Um, how I, I know that you guys are big into local foods, fresh foods, mm-hmm. growing your own foods. What is your favorite meal? 
my favorite meal, you know, this goes back to kind of a nod towards I'm, I haven't been a meat eater for all of that long. I, I I definitely don't prefer like a gigantic piece of meat. I don't, I'm not a steak girl, I'm not a pork chop girl. I would really love like a little pork stir fry or we make this lemongrass ginger sausage. I love to take it out of the casing, brown it up a little bit, put it over some fresh Napa cabbage, um, do a good soy reduction with a little bit of sriracha maple syrup to kind of drizzle on top, cilantro, a little nuts, and call it a day. 15 minutes. Nice. What is the name? What do you name that? That sounds, um, that sounds like cool. it have, should have a really good name. Oh, gosh. We just call it like Heather's like at home. We call it Heather's Lemongrass Mushy Salad. Um, <laughs> but I don't think that's a really good marketing name. <laughs> wow. Um, so, you know, we kind of skipped over this before, but I have to ask you, how did you, how did you transition from vegetarian to non-vegetarian? Obviously, you're in the space of non-vegetarianism, but like, how did you personally make that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think I was in the same, like, from little of what you told me, in the same space uh, for a long time that I was kind of really um, a vegetarian and vegan in response to the commercial industrial food system that we have. Um, and that's kind of like really where it started, I'm being honest, it's really because I was looking at my older sister when I was younger, and that was her take on it, and I thought that was pretty cool and right on. <laughs> and I kind of followed in those footsteps, you know, um, and I didn't really stray from that. But then um, my husband's a chef. And then we started kind of analyzing a little bit, like, where my, you know, really why I ate how I did and what my, my viewpoints were. And then I, I kind of came to peace with the idea, like, all right, well, if I can source the animals locally, I have a better sense of how they're raised. I'm actually supporting a local farm that's fighting against this industrial system. I'm definitely down with that. And lastly, um, I actually had... Um, Soy in the United States isn't processed right. right. Um, it's not fermented how it should. And I actually had a pretty big endocrine disruption thing happen from eating too much soy as a vegetarian for so really? long. So, yeah. So for me, it was a combination of just like where my journey was personally and also a health issue. Got it. Got it. Good to know. Yeah. Good, very good to know. Okay. Yeah. Let's jump right back in here. Number four, <laughs> how about <laughs> how about what is your favorite date night? Oh, my favorite date night? Yeah. Like one of the things that you do that's a, f- a favorite of yours. You know, we love to, we have a really vibrant small town. My small town is like 1,200 people right outside of Ithaca. My husband and I love to go like just sit at the bar and have a beer on the way home. There's actually a great place that plays music or there's a really great restaurant. We'll actually, instead of sitting at the fine dining area, sit at the bar and you can actually watch um, these amazing restaurateurs make this really cool food and they throw up little snacks the whole time. Um, so those kind of just hanging out in our hometown, having a few drinks and, and enjoying the people around us for nice. sure. Very, very nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The last question is you work a lot as all farmers mm-hmm. do, as all businesswomen yeah. do. What is your favorite way to like take a vacation from your business? Oh yeah. Well, we don't get to leave very often still at this point with our business. So it has to be like a home vacation. All right. My, I'm single. I love to eat takeout Thai food in bed and watch a movie. That's like where I can really like brain dump. Like and it has to be in bed and it has to be Thai food. So nice. that helps me a lot. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, Heather, I really want to uh, wrap up and just say thank you so much for sharing your story and big congratulations to you. You have built a tremendous business and um, I just, I have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing. I love the local aspect. I love, um, I just love what you're doing. So congratulations to you and thanks for being on the show. Oh, well, thanks for the warm, you know, welcome. I really enjoyed being here and uh, thanks so much. You can find all the show notes for this conversation at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 141. 
I truly enjoyed that conversation with Heather. And one of the things that I didn't say on air was that the fact that my husband and I actually want to own a farm. Um, I don't think that we're going to be slaughtering pigs. However, I really loved what she's all about, why she's doing this, and the big local um, kind of fresh to farm feel and attitude that she has about it all. So I had a lot of respect for what she's doing. And the biggest lesson that I took from that conversation is staying true to your core competency. And even if you're going to try to do something in a complimentary business um, that you think you know makes sense and it doesn't make sense, then don't be afraid to pull back and pull the plug on it and just stay true to your core competency. So I love the fact that she tried it. And I also love the fact that she admitted that it didn't go so well. What did you get out of today's conversation? I would love to hear about it. Just go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 141 and leave a comment in the show notes. I would love to hear what you got and what impacted you or what idea it sparked for you or just, you know, how you connected to her. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the next episode. (laughs) 